social ladies, all the 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 social ladies. Now put your phones up. Welcome to the 100th episode of All the Social Ladies podcast with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kirpin. This week's special episode features a roundtable discussion with Carrie and her Likeable Media social ladies. Cause if you're social then you really should be tweetless. If you're social then you really could be leadless. You get mad when people say it's so mysterious. Because you're social you're a leader and you're serious. Oh, 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 oh. Now, Carrie Kirpin. Hi, Carrie. Welcome to your show. <laughs> Thank you. As you always start off, can you tell us about the story of your career? Absolutely. So when I was in college, I was pretty conflicted. I didn't know if I wanted to be in marketing. And literally, my reason for wanting to be in marketing was that I watched the show Melrose Place, and they wore really cool outfits at agencies. And I was like, oh, I want to be in marketing. I think this will work. Or um, I wanted to be a teacher because I always loved kids. And so an internship came up at Radio Disney, and I thought that was the most perfect blend for me because it gave me the opportunity to tie into marketing, and it also gave me the opportunity uh, to work in a field with children. So I thought it was perfect. I walked in the door. It was a tiny station at the time. I said, I, I'll do anything for you. I'll do anything. And, and uh, they, I really did do anything for them. I actually drove an ice cream truck for them when they used to deliver ice cream. I used to plan school partnership programs. I used to do promotions, all different kinds of things. I really got my feet wet in terms of the internship itself. So then I had an internship. And then after school, I did such a great job. They wanted to hire me. But at the time, they were not yet owned by Disney. They were owned by a very small communications group. And they were from the South. And they came in and they said, Carrie, I've got Good news for you. I can offer you $16,000 a year and no health insurance. <laughs> and I said, oh. And that was actually the first time in my career where I was placed in a position where, like, I kind of had to figure out how to negotiate or what to do. And I just decided that they would never be able to get to even the base level of where you would be starting out in school. And so I made my first really tough decision, which was to say no. And I started then, uh, there was a client of Radio Disney who I had kind of connected with, and that was Stop and Shop Supermarket Company, and they were looking for someone to launch their kids' marketing program. So again, I was like, kids and marketing. It kind of just all sort of evolved. And in that job, I actually, again, drove a <laughs> Volkswagen Beetle that was painted in balloons, and I wore my hair in pigtails, and I drove from store to store to teach the store employees how to have fun. That was literally my job. I and, love that. Yep. And it was the cookie program. We like, <laughs> gave out cookies to kids and we, we did all kinds of things to make the store more accessible to families. Because if you've ever experienced a, a grocery store with children, it's basically a nightmare. They're cranky. They want everything under the sun. And it's all about making their experience more likable, ironically. Okay. So then I went there. Then I went to another brand also in the kids space, which was Polaroid. And I launched the first iZone camera, which was the mini Polaroid pictures that you would put on your locker. So it was very, very popular with teens and it became the number one selling camera in the country. And so that was a really amazing thing to be a part of. And then from there, Radio Disney called. They had been acquired by Disney. And so now they had money and I had experience. And so they said, we think that you would be great in sales. And I said, sales? I, I don't know how to sell. What do you mean? I, I've never sold in my life. I come from brand marketing space. And somebody who I knew and trusted said, I think you should try sales, and I think you'd be amazing. So I was really nervous. I was really, really scared. Because in sales, you're so accountable. You know, you either sell or you don't. And I took the leap. It was the best decision I ever made and became the number one seller in the country for Radio Disney, which was pretty incredible. 
And then from that point, I grew into management and radio. I went to a different radio group. And then eventually, I ended up launching Likeable Media after Dave and I got married on a baseball field. So we got married <laughs> on a baseball field and we decided um, that it was, you know, a sponsored wedding, generated a lot of results and clients who sponsored it were like, this is amazing. You got to do it again. You got to do it. And we were like, uh, all right, can't get married again. Maybe we should start a company instead. And so I kind of jumped into entrepreneurial waters in that way. That is the story of my career. <laughs> so when I think of Radio Disney, I always think of the Britneys and the Christinas and the Justins. So who is your favorite Disney child star? So Michelle, it's so funny that you say that because most people who think of Radio Disney think of like Mickey and Minnie, and that's not what it was at all. It was totally pop music. Okay, so my favorite was Britney Spears, always. And when I used to cold call at Radio Disney, I used to have to drive up business. You'd call people, you have no idea if they are open to working with you. And also, Radio Disney had a very limited signal, so you couldn't really hear us. So it was, like, impossible to sell. So you could only rely on the things that Radio Disney was all about. So I used to cold call over and over, and I would keep calling, and then every once in a while on a voicemail, I'd be like this. Oops, I called you again. <laughs> Please pick up the phone. And it used to work That's really amazing. well. So Brittany for life. I'm a, a huge Brittany fan. Good choice. Yep. Yeah. So going back to when you were talking about starting Likeable with Dave, I'm wondering what is it about social media that made you want to launch a social media agency as opposed to a typical ad agency? So it's interesting. So I kind of became an entrepreneur by accident, which was that we had this huge wedding and this huge success. It got national and international press for the sponsored wedding that we did. And we knew that people wanted to do it, us to do it again. We knew that they wanted us to create these sort of big buzz marketing concepts. And so we actually started as a word of mouth agency. So it was a lot of events and different things that would create buzz. Our original name, just so you know, was the K-Buzz. Did you ladies know that? I did. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, I remember Buzz Builders yes, being Buzz a thing. Yes, Buzz Builders was a yeah. thing. And the K-Buzz, K was for Kirpin. We mm -hmm. sounded like a radio station. Come work at the K-Buzz, right? And so we started as a word of mouth agency. And what happened was it was right at the advent of social media becoming very mainstream. So there was Friendster and there was MySpace, but Facebook wasn't yet open to the college market. Once Facebook opened to the college market, we really saw that social media was going to become the fastest form of word of mouth. So it was really about the fundamental belief that word of mouth can either really drive a business forward or kill it. And so we knew that social media was going to be the real driver for that. And so I was never interested in being a typical ad agency. I was never interested. Uh, ironically, I ended up really hating all the stuff that originally made me want to go into advertising, which was the cool short skirts and all Melrose Place. <laughs> like, that wasn't my thing. I was really much more about doing what was right for companies to help accelerate their business forward. And, and social media allows businesses to be their truest form of self, right? If you're great and you have a great product, that will show. And if you're bad and you have a bad product, that will show too. And so it's really, it was fascinating to me about how you could either propel good word of mouth forward or address really negative word of mouth. Going off of that, so... I dream of being an entrepreneur one day. You'd be a great one. Oh, you're too kind. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> so it's likeable is really known within our company, at least, that we have a great culture. Mm -hmm. So ask anyone and they love working there because of the people and just the the environment that you and Dave have put together for us. What was something you kind of learned when you were first getting off the ground about making the company culture so great? It's so funny that you asked that, Jen, because so many people ask me, how did you create the culture at Likeable? 
And my real answer is I have no idea. <laughs> I think it came. I think it started from the top in terms of that we were very high energy and passionate. Mm -hmm. If you look at the core values of our organization, that's really who we are. We're driven, yeah. we're passionate, we're accountable, and we're likable. But I think that much of a culture comes not only from the top down, but the bottom up. Like you guys make the culture. It's I, I can't say, oh, today our culture is going to be this because if it's not authentic and true, it's something that evolves over time. So I think it's, it's partly, you know, setting the example that you want your culture mm -hmm. to be and living that example. And then it's also watching what comes up organically. It's kind of a little bit of a mix of both. The big thing that I say to a lot of entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs is that you can't try and force culture. Right. You can't try and force it. It is what it is. And and a lot of times, you know, Likeable Local, which is the other company mm -hmm. that we founded, has a very different culture. Right. And we're the same founders, right? I mean, really. And so it's it's just some of it is how it begins and how it starts and evolves over time. I think that's really cool. I mean, it's very aspirational for me, too, to see us all work together so well. It's like, that's what I strive to have once eventually, fingers crossed, that I open my own business. And so. I, I hope that you do, because I think that um, particularly for women, it is the key to our success to be able to take control of our uh, time, which mm -hmm. is really, really important, right? That's one of the main reasons I became an entrepreneur is that I, I actually, most people become an entrepreneur and they talk about how they worked around the clock and they didn't sleep and they did all these things. I became an entrepreneur because I wanted control of my time. I wanted to be able to spend time with my daughters. I wanted to be able to invest as much time as I could in my mm -hmm. business in a really smart, focused way. And so my wish for actually all of my employees, should they want it and should they have the stomach for it, because you do need a stomach for it, but is to become an entrepreneur, because I think there's nothing more empowering or uh, you know, nothing that allows you the amount of flexibility. And I just, for me, that's everything, everything. So you mentioned the girls, obviously, yes. and then there's Seth. Sethy Poo. Love him. Love. Adorable. Cutest face ever. Yes, please continue to show me pictures. Follow him on Instagram, <laughs> Seth Kirpin, just saying. So what's the hardest part about balancing motherhood and being an entrepreneur and having your own business? I'm speaking honestly here. It is scary. Yeah. Thinking about doing that. Yeah. I think you could ask the same question about balancing, um, balancing motherhood and a career. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be an entrepreneur. Listen, it's very hard. You, you, what you have to realize is that you're going to mess up a lot and that it's okay. And that over time you will get your swing right and you do the best you can. I think it's about knowing what you want in terms of time. And then it's getting the childcare or support that you need or husband or partner that can help you achieve that balance. For me, uh, what we're and by the way, I think that everyone has their own definition of this. I I don't care at all how much another woman wants time, another woman wants to spend at home or at work. That's their choice. For me, what I wanted was to have good enough childcare that I felt like I could go to work without guilt. That was first. The second thing I wanted was the ability to make my own hours, which means that I would put my kids. This all started. I wanted to put my kids on the bus in the morning. Then it was, okay, I want to be able to do some carpools every once in a while because I believe that the little things like that are really important. Mm -hmm. I believe that quantity time is important. You know, people talk about quality over quantity. I believe that quantity is important to be able to take that time to like drive them to the orthodontist. I think you find out more than taking them on a spectacular trip somewhere. You know, I think it's really about the little things uh, that they need. And that's what works for me. What works for other people is different, but no matter what, it's recognizing it's hard. And we as women 
supporting one another through that quest is very important. One of the questions that I had come in here prepared to ask was, what is the hardest decision that you ever had to make? And do you think it was kind of just launching a business or is it more in your whole career? Like, what was the hardest thing? In my career, (laughs) what was the hardest decision I ever had to make? I've had a lot of hard decisions in my career. I think, mm-hmm. go, okay, so I'll go from I'll go from lighter to really harder. Okay, <laughs> I think that it was a very hard decision to jump to sales because that was a huge risk and it paid off. I think it was a very hard decision to keep going when we were growing um, very quickly. So when you're a small business and you're growing quickly, especially in a business like ours that's service-related, you have all these companies that hire you for big things, but they don't, It's it's not like they say, you're hired and then they hand you cash. It's you're hired, then you do a lot of work and then eventually you get paid. That's very, very scary. There were many nights when we were little, not now, so don't panic. <laughs> we were little. And I was up at night thinking like, how am I going to make payroll for these kids that are all working for me? Like that was a very, very hard time. It was very hard to say, I'm going to keep going. It was really hard. Another hard decision was the decision that I made that I knew I wanted a third baby in the middle of a growing company. So by that point, we were more established, which was great. And I had great leaders in place, which was great. So all in the beginning, like you're really doing it all yourself. Um, But still, you know, I'm a large part of the growth of the company, but I knew I wanted a third baby and I knew that that was going to take time. And I think this is the thing, by the way, ladies, that nobody tells you. As a woman, our biggest Um, difficulty to overcome and our biggest disadvantage is time. So when we're a leader, you have to look a certain way, right? That takes time to blow your hair out, to do your makeup, to do all this stuff. Guy can come in like a schmumbled mess that doesn't matter (laughs) how they look. We actually physically have the babies. That takes time. A lot of times we nurse. That takes time. And you can make choices to not do those things. But I think ultimately those types of things are both a disadvantage in the workplace and a huge advantage to us that we get to do them, you know? And so I think that um, the decision to have Seth, I knew I was going to be at a disadvantage and there was no decision I made in my career even that was ever better because I was able to step back a little bit and let other people step up and that helped the business a lot. So (laughs) it worked out. Oftentimes I think that I have ideas or big ideas and I end up thinking, well, that'll actually never happen. And I've noticed that when you have ideas, you always go after them and pursue them. And it's something I really admire. And I'm wondering what pushes you to believe in yourself to take that extra step? And what advice do you have for young women in business to go after their ideas? Okay, so first, I'm very flattered that you asked this question. And I will tell you that for every idea you see me execute, there are probably 10 that I don't. So I think it's about putting a stake in the ground and saying, this is the idea that I'm going to push. A great example of this would be all the social ladies. All the social ladies was one idea out of hundreds I had for connecting women in digital. And of course, like all good ideas, it was one I had in the shower when listening to (laughs) all the single ladies. And I was like, oh, right, exactly. I had my pop channel on, and there's Britney, and then there's Beyonce. And I'm like, oh, all the single ladies, all the social ladies. This would work brilliantly. Um, And I just chose to execute. Ideas are great, and I'm a big idea person, but they are nothing without execution. So what I would say is choose wisely. And not only choose wisely, but be prepared that some of them that you choose will fail. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Failing is the best because it helps you be so much better. And learning to kind of flex the failure muscle helps you be so much better in life. It really does. 
So we've already talked about how the culture at Likeable is so great and everyone loves it. But if you look at every person in there, there's so many different types of people. Yep. And is there something that you look for? Like, likability is a hard thing to describe. Yes. Is there something specifically that you look for in people? Core values themselves are meant to be intangible. I can't test necessarily for drive or passion. And there's it's really subjective, right? I could think mm-hmm. you're driven and somebody else could think you're not. Ultimately, it's a series of interviews that we do where we look for that culture fit. I do hire for culture first. I really do. And I think you'll see this as, as we build the team. It's will they fit within the culture? Because you can be totally brilliant, off the chart brilliant, and not be a culture fit. And I've actually seen that quite a few times. So it was only through my learnings of that experience did I realize that hiring for culture is most important. A lot of people think that's a whole load of bull. But I, in my experience, hiring for culture is what kept people here longer and it kept people happier longer. And it also helped them do their jobs better because they're happier. I believe when people are happy, they do their jobs better. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And so so watching that over time, hiring for culture is most important. And it's just, it is not tangible. It is not something where I can check a box and say, oh, do you have this many years experience? Do you have this skill of this computer program? No. It's, it's totally looking at the organization and saying, will you fit within here? Are you going to have a good time here? And are you going to be good at what you do here? I think that's key. Anything else for me? What else do you want to know? <laughs> I didn't want to think I was talking too much, guys. No, I thought not. I already you're had not. my you're moment. <laughs> okay. So oftentimes young women, I mean, all through college, I might just be speaking for myself, but we hear like, go find a mentor, find someone in your industry who like you can learn a lot from. There's so many amazing women that I've met, like through all the social ladies, through working at Likeable, and even just on my own. It seems silly to just have one person that you're referring to for all of your career questions. So I guess going off of that, how do you recommend staying connected with women you meet day to day and managing an organic relationship with them, but having multiple mentors and and keeping in touch with a lot of them? Okay, so that's a great question. I believe that... For me, what worked was having what I called a personal board of advisors, which is a group of women or men uh, who I met throughout my life, who knew me at different stages in my career, who are really invested in my success and people I could call at any time. I think that using social media makes it infinitely easier to stay in touch because when you haven't been in touch for as long and you're friends with them on Facebook or on LinkedIn, you kind of see what's happening with them and being sure to engage in that way. I also do think there's a benefit in having a mentor that really knows your ins and outs of your career and is somebody who really is going to help you get to the next level. I think there's a difference between a board of advisors and a mentor. The thing I will tell you about mentors, and this is something for many years I've dealt with, right, as the leader of a company, don't go up to somebody who you don't necessarily have the in-depth relationship with and ask them to be your mentor. Get them on your personal board of advisors first. You know, start (laughs) talking to them, go to lunch with them, you know, that kind of stuff and build that relationship. Many times I have gotten phone calls from pretty random people saying, will you be my mentor? And I have to say no, which is very hard because it's the, what you need is you, it's the same like in life. It's like walking up to somebody you see in the street saying, will you be my boyfriend? Like, no, like you gotta go on a few dates first, please. Dating doesn't work like that? What do you mean? Exactly. So you have to date your mentor first. And I would look at um, a personal board of advisors. A mentor 
is somebody who is not only invested in your career, they pick up the phone and call for your career. You know, really, it's a commitment. I, I view it for people I mentor as a commitment. And so I think that you have to look at it the same way. That's why a personal board of advisors is so great because you know you have people you can call and be in touch with anytime you have a question. I love that. Reaching out for advice. People people do love mm-hmm. to give advice, you know, especially, you know, college advisors or people, your first job and anything along those lines. And that can be pretty informal. You don't have to ask necessarily, will you be on my personal board of advisors? It's just forming the relationship. Do you ask them different questions? Like, do you find that each person specializes in something differently? I do. And I look for people who are different. So I have people who are agency owners. And then I have people, um, oh, the woman who hired me at Radio Disney, definitely on my personal board of advisors. And I call her when I need a brilliant sales moment. Uh, I can do, uh, for a long time, Candy was on my personal mm-hmm. board of advisors. Although now, you know, we're like basically joined at the hip. That's the COO <laughs> of our company. Um, there's many different people that I call for different things. I also have a personal board of advisor. You know, like if you think about like, you know, would you call your mom? Would you call your friend? Who would you call? And I, I think right. there should be a small group that you know you can call at any time and they'll pick up the phone. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's very helpful. Good. I, I feel like I didn't want to single one person out. Right. And just say, be my mentor. Tell right. me everything that I need to know. Well, I'm glad you didn't yeah. because really what you can do is just start um, start the conversations. Ask them for coffee. Right. You know, and I do that for a lot of people. A lot of people who are at Likeable, mm-hmm. I still go to coffee with them and meet with them and, and really help them in any way I can. It makes me so happy to do it. And that's the thing is if you, as long as they're, um, you know, they're in touch, it's not random. It's not like an expectation. It's more a request. Right. I loved our coffee date. Yes, we had the best coffee <laughs> date coffee ever. Day. I know, and now I feel like I know so much about you. And I remember what do you we were. Mean? I want my own coffee. You didn't get a new higher coffee date. Either. No, no. But well, we had our. Co- it was for the fall coffee dates, and it just happened oh. to coincide oh. with. You like, never got a new higher coffee date. Uh oh. Look! Oh, Maggie's popping from behind the studio. Look, go look and tell Joe. Ask Joe what's going to happen next. Right now, I'm going to say Joe. <laughs> we will have coffee dates. Ask me a coffee date. I don't know why I have it. I know. Does it have to be coffee? No. It could be tea. Oh. <laughs> that wasn't be, the answer. It could I was be looking. breakfast. It could be drinks. It could be, it really can be anything. I mean, it depends on my time. And I yeah. think that it's, it depends on what time I have free. But yes, of course, we have the best coffee day. <laughs> See, and now Michelle's I know everything about her from yeah. Vegas. I can tell you everything about her right now. And just from one single coffee date. Yep. Awesome. So, of course, when you have <laughs> when you have a that type of experience with somebody, then you feel like you're more personally invested because mm-hmm. you know them. That's it. Cool. Any other ones? I'm done. You're done? Yes, I'm good. Everything. You guys are good. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Don't worry. This 100th episode of All the Social Ladies is brought to you by Likeable Media, the social media agency that is fast, smart, and likable. Visit likable.com for details. Welcome back to part two of All the Social Ladies 100th episode party. Woo! Okay, so my question for you, or one of them really, is who is your dream guest for all the social ladies? My dream guest for all the social ladies. Okay. So my dream guest for all the social ladies would have to be Sheryl Sandberg. Uh, Not because I'm obsessed with Lean In, but because for many, many years I followed Sheryl throughout her career. And when she started at Facebook, I was so immensely impressed with what she was able to do, not only for them to monetize, but to monetize in the most brilliant way. And that was really understanding the newsfeed algorithm and how the advertising played in. And I just, watching her turn an organization that was founded by 
essentially a kid into this grown-up org and take it through to being public was unbelievable. And I have reached out and had several email exchanges with Cheryl, <laughs> but she has not yet to come on the show. Hopefully she will. I, she, so I, I don't know what she'll do, what I'll do if she does. I might faint. <laughs> I'd have a heart attack because I love her. I love her. Cheryl, please. <laughs> please, please. <laughs> but you know what Cheryl, one of Cheryl's theories is that was about ruthless prioritization. Do you guys know about that? No. no. Oh, ruthless prioritization is she's ruthless about what she says yes to. And I think it's such a good lesson. You have to really prioritize. And I, as somebody who says yes to everything, um, much like Shonda, as we know from our book club, <laughs> yeah. um, I think that ruthless prioritization is part of the key to being successful, knowing what to say yes to and what to say no to, I think is key. So basically, we just have to prove to her that it's super worth it. We have to show her that this is a priority that is <laughs> worth it. She Got needs it. to be ruthless in her yes to coming on this show. <laughs> exactly. Cheryl, we will bring Seth. Oh, <laughs> baby Seth. True. I guess I'll ask my second one, which is, how does it feel to reach 100 episodes? Wow. How does it feel to reach 100 <laughs> episodes? Pretty darn crazy. So um, as I said earlier in the show, I have a million ideas a day, and mm-hmm. I only execute on very few of them because I, I pick one strategically and say, okay, I'm going with this. And All the Social Ladies was an idea that I decided to move forward with, and the fact that we're at 100 episodes is just nuts. It's a, to me, it shows that there was a need for women to be able to talk about their careers, a need for women to talk about the impact that social media has had on their lives. And it's just been an amazing experience. Unbelievable. So obviously you have a million things going on on your plate at all times. I'm not going to list them because we don't have that kind of time. But um, <laughs> how do you manage to stay on top of the latest social media trends and like platform updates and that sort of thing? Well, there's a couple things I do. So the first thing I do is I read all the time. I think it's really important to read what's happening and not just—I read both on the side of the agency, which would be like technical enhancements Mm -hmm. that would be like in Mashable or TechCrunch, but I also read from the business side. So I read the journal and I read the Times and all of these things that are talking about in business how social media impacts business, and I always use that for inspiration. The other thing that I do and I encourage people to do is to be on as many networks as possible— I could not possibly have understood Snapchat unless I was on there. As I've mentioned many times, it's a totally counterintuitive <laughs> network. I didn't understand it for a long time. And, but because I'm on there and I forced myself to use it in sometimes the dorkiest of ways, it enabled me to understand it and then better be able to recommend it to clients. So I think the key to me is when something new comes out, first I say, is this something that I think is going to stick? And if I have any inkling that it might stick, I get on, even if I'm not using it all the time, but I get on so that I understand the user experience, so that I understand how brands are using it, so that I understand how the next generation is using it, or even how the next generation uh, is using their phones. Like sometimes the the user experience is different because it's built for somebody who's not me, you know, somebody younger. Right. And so in watching that, uh, I think it's very important to learn and know. How are you liking Snapchat now? I love Snapchat. <laughs> it's I the love best. It. It really I love is. it for so many reasons. I love how how free it is, how you can just be free with yourself and your content because it's erasable. So it's like, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you feel more comfortable sharing silly things? Because it's not like um adding to your social long-term digital footprint. Mm-hmm. It's really great. I love it. Yeah, you're all welcome. I face swapped with my Chihuahua the other oh! night. And I didn't send it out, so you should have everyone. No, I think I would have been really much more pleased if you sent it to me. It was, it was really terrifying. I, <laughs> there was one time my sister face swapped with the lock on her locker. I don't know how 
she managed to, but the lock was on her face. Do you have a screenshot of it? Because that's something that should be shared. I think she has it somewhere. Mm, I have to go dig I might it. need to see it. I might <laughs> nice. need to see it. Okay, so now for my question. I'm ready. Um, mine's getting down to the nitty-gritty. I'm ready. So you and Dave were both in sales. I just started his book, The Art of People, and it was talking about how you surpassed him in sales. So my question is reflecting around how do you date somebody in the same industry as you without it becoming a competition? Oh, I wish I really had the answer to that because it, we did we were we did start as fairly competitive. I think it depends on your personality type. So some people are just not competitive by nature. Dave and I are both pretty competitive. I think he's more competitive than I bet. I think that um, as a whole, we're both kind of competitive people. I think that when you date somebody and you get past, when Dave and I were competing as salespeople, we were not dating. Once we started dating and eventually got married, it became much more about celebrating each other's success because our success was communal. The success that he has is my success, and the success that I have is his success. Of course, now we're married, but you think about it. One thing I might reframe if you were thinking about it as the two of you are dating and you're in a similar industry is like, don't you want to be dating the top in your field? Isn't that attractive and great? And I think to me, it's like the same thing about for us as women, like, don't we want to be the best in our field because how good it makes us feel about ourselves. Like, it's just, it's so much more about you, you being the best you can be because it makes you feel good. And then for them, you want them to be the best they can be because that makes you feel good too. All about making you feel good, really. (laughs) That's what I would say. Just keep it all about you. Just keep it all about you. That's how to do it. Done. Great. Done. I love that nitty gritty. That's a yeah, good one. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I have one more Dave question. Oh, I'm ready. From the book. All right. So he knew that he was in love with you like the minute he saw yes. you. And he was like, I called her when I was at this American Idol party. Yes. I love that um, you know this. Right. <laughs> right. And by the way, I love Clay Aiken. So of Dave, course. I didn't feel bad for you reading that. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but I want to know, did you have that immediate connection with Dave as well like he did? That's a really great question. So... The way that I described when I met Dave was like I walked in and there was like a bright light because Dave, it was a bundle of energy and had such similarities to me. We were both great salespeople. We both had a lot of fun. We both loved pop culture. We had all of these things. At the time when I met Dave, I wasn't available. So my mind wasn't in a space of dating at all. And also as a kid, I mean, for me, I was 25. I was young. I wasn't really thinking about Dave as a partner, I was just thinking this, I need this person to be around me because we have such great energy together and the things we can accomplish together were huge. What we accomplished at Radio Disney Boston, you guys have to realize Radio Disney Boston was a tiny station. And so we were only selling for Radio Disney Boston. We just invented crap to be able to sell more. It was such a small station. If you were in Boston proper, you could hear it for about five minutes. And if you took one step out to a suburb, you could not hear it. That's how bad the signal was. And so for us, it was like, it was really challenging to get to that place in sales. And we both worked really hard to do that. And that was so exciting. So it was much more platonic, but I can say that I knew in my heart that Dave and I had to know each other, had to build something together. And so I got pretty lucky that we ended up not only building a business, but building a family and building a life. So it was pretty great. I hope you listen to it. 
Um, okay, I have a semi-nerdy question. I love nerdy questions. Okay, great. I'm always really interested in hearing how people, pretty much anybody, um, works, basically, like any sort of productivity hack mm-hmm. or things like that. Mm-hmm. What would be your best or most unique tip for getting things done, especially given that you have such a busy schedule, that sort of thing? Okay, so I have a lot. Okay. These. I'll mm-hmm. tell you how I manage myself. Mm-hmm. First of all, um, I am a huge, huge fan of to-do lists and having one central to-do list, which has everything on it, not just my work, but my whole life. And I separate it into segments and every day I do it and then I cross everything off. Then I copy and paste and resend it to myself in an email for the next day so that I have it. Very systematic in that approach. I also use an email. uh, I used to use Mailbox. Now I use Inbox by Gmail that allows me to only keep things that are still on the to-do list at the forefront Mm -hmm. so that I review it at the end of the day and see if I need to add anything to that. Another thing that I do is pick specific days of the week for things. Mm-hmm. So like Tuesdays is podcasting day and it's always podcasting day. And that type of rigidity um, allows me to be accountable because I think if I didn't have a standard day, I would probably always move things around. Same thing, by the way, in personal life with workout days and everything else. If I don't have a specific schedule, I find it very hard to stick to. The other thing is with the amount of busy that I am, I live and die by my calendar. Everything is in my calendar, even like things that I'm not necessarily going to, I will then know. So I manage my kids' lives on my calendar. So even though you'll see simultaneously, I'll be podcasting with you, I will know that right at this moment, Charlotte's getting out of school and she has her rehearsal. So the calendar is one big one. Having an inbox app that allows you to know what to-dos are still there and then a meticulous to-do list for me. And, you know, there's a lot of other productivity things I do. I think, no, oh, planning meals is another thing so I can go really fast. If I know all of my meals are prepared, I don't have to worry and think about, like, oh, what do I want to eat now and what do I need to do now? Um, having regular orders on on ordering insights, mm-hmm. things like that is really key. I think knowing it's very little things that if you can cut the downtime out of the equation, that's it, it just really makes you much more productive. That's so true. Sometimes I spend like 45 minutes trying to decide what to eat. What do you want to eat? Meal prep is everything. Go take Sunday and do meal prep. You can make all your food for the week cheaper, better. (laughs) It's not, by the way, I don't always do this, but this is is a major (laughs) productivity hack for sure. That's so funny you mentioned your calendar because I pulled yours up one oh time. God, I forget yes. what for, and I was like, I'm going to have a panic attack. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very overwhelming. It's but hard. I can see how it helps. You should try and put little breaks between meetings if you can because it's really hard to go back to back like that. It sometimes becomes yeah. a necessity, but that's why you, going back to Cheryl, that's why you have to ruthlessly prioritize. It's hard not to take every single meeting that is asked of you, mm-hmm. and it's hard to take breaks, but it's an important thing. I agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I recently went to a $10 psychic in Soho. Love. Yeah. Did she try and sell you crystals? Yes. Uh-huh. For $500. Yes, yes brilliant. <laughs> she so she, she gave me a deal. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. So what did your $10 psychic uh, say? She said, you're supposed to be an entrepreneur and you are supposed to lead and not follow. But um, the question that I had for you, there are so many things on the back end of owning your own business and numbers are my number one mortal enemy. Uh-huh. So it's like, what are some behind the scenes things that go into creating a business that people just don't think about? Okay, so what are some behind the scenes things? Well, I think you're right that numbers are important. However, I believe that it is easier. This might be controversial. I think it's easier to get somebody who can help you with numbers than it is to get somebody who can be a phenomenal leader. I think that numbers are a tactic. And I think that leading is a skill. 
And so ultimately, there are many things behind the scenes that go into running a business. The primary thing, if you're really running the business, is tolerance for risk. I mean, it's a tremendous, tremendous risk. If Likeable Media went bankrupt today, which it would not, if it did, you would all go find another job. As a leader, I'm entirely responsible for that, that I would have to not only worry about the 50-some-odd people that would no longer have jobs, but I would have a whole lot of risk that was on my shoulders. It's a tolerance for risk that allows you to be an entrepreneur, and I always had less of a tolerance for risk than most entrepreneurs. I, I was always uh, very nervous and and pretty played it pretty safe, which is why Likeable Media really could have sacrificed a lot to grow rapidly. I could have put all efforts on growing, uh, you know, quadruple digit growth. Okay, so tripling in revenue, quadrupling in revenue. But I opted uh, for a more calculated growth, which allowed us to still grow, but do it without the insane fear of we're growing so fast. Many, many businesses, you don't think about it, but many businesses go under because they're growing so quickly, mm. which is really like so counterintuitive. You think, what do you mean you're growing? <laughs> but it's keeping up with demand. If you've ever watched Shark Tank or any of those things, it's like you get these huge orders and you can't fill them because you don't have cash. It's like very challenging. And so I always, uh, what I like to say about being an entrepreneur is that I took very calculated risks. So I think ultimately what makes a great entrepreneur is tolerance for risk. I think numbers are so important that I think it would be a disservice if you were an entrepreneur for you to do the numbers because you wouldn't know what you were doing. And it would be so it would be so not what you want to do and so not what you would enjoy to do. So I would say for you, if you were becoming an entrepreneur, you might want to find a partner that really thrived on the business side of the equation. And then you could fly free and be an amazing idea person, which I know you are <laughs> just from knowing you. Okay, I got one more. Okay. Where do you see all the social ladies in like one to three years? So all the social ladies was like kind of a happy accident. I was, I, <laughs> I was telling some of the ladies earlier about my my experience in the shower, listening to all the all the single ladies being like, wow, there could be a podcast. I'm excited. We'll call it all the social ladies. Um, but what it became was a collection of stories of women in digital and the impact that digital has had on their careers, that it's had on their personal lives and, and overall like their sense of self. Mm-hmm. The next thing uh, is going to be a book, which we're going to be coming out with. And more broadly, you know, we do some meetups. We do some things like that. I think more broadly, I want all the social ladies to be known as a place where women in digital can connect and get advice from one another, help one another, help each other in your careers. I think the sky's the limit for that. And I think that we have a real opportunity with the number of smart women that we've interviewed and talked to. I just think it could be great. Can we just help you make like Tinder for social ladies? Tinder for social ladies. See, this is why you should be an entrepreneur. <laughs> Wait, if only you said Uber for all the social ladies. You just call it in. You, you, you guys know that. Have you ever seen every business that's pitched right now? Uber for this. <laughs> Uber for doctors. <laughs> Uber for lamps. Uber for, of yeah, course. it's whenever something gets really big and you know you're onto an idea is when people say, oh, it's like Uber for, oh, it's like uh, Tinder for, you know. Yeah, it should totally be like yeah. an app where we can just connect and be like, oh, hey, I have connect. a question about hey, like Snapchat. You. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Let's do it. Yeah. You just need someone to it. do the numbers. Yeah, I need somebody to do the numbers. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. We'll call Candy. Yeah. <laughs> Done. Yeah. I need a Candy and I need a Joe. There you go. That's it. Right now, <laughs> we stat. We all need a Joe. Stat. Everyone yeah. needs a Joe. Yes. Oh, productivity hack. When you're a leader. Get a Joe. Oh, not just Joe. Hot. Hire the best people. The best productivity hack when you're a leader is to hire the best people. Because think about it. Best nanny, right? Mm -hmm. To take care of your baby so you can go to work and feel safe. 
best assistant so that your whole world is not only organized, but that I used to have a really hard time with like that Joe would do prep work for specific things and then I would just go do it. But the reality is, is that my time being spent on that stuff is not a good use of time. And so I had to get the confidence to really be like, oh, right, this makes sense that Joe should be doing this. So that way I can do more of the stuff that moves the company forward. And that was a hard thing, but really finding the absolute best help. So finding best nanny, best assistant and best leadership team to work with as you grow, like there's nothing like that. Mm -hmm. So then it allows us to move forward in such an incredible way. Everyone wins. Yeah, everyone wins. And you have great people and you're employing them and it's wonderful. Okay, I have one more question. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, I've been waiting all day for this. I'm so excited. (laughs) So I don't know if you watch TED Talks. Always. Okay, great. Um, If you were picked to give a TED Talk right now, what would your TED Talk be about? Great question. Okay, I think that because, so with my TED Talk, immediately, this is what would go into my mind. It's okay, I'm given a a stage, right? A TED Mm -hmm. Talk is a huge stage. So what do I want to say? And not only what do I want to say, but how do I link it back to what I want to do with my life as a whole? Mm-hmm. And I believe that one of the things that I am put on earth to do is to talk about how this sociological change of social media happening, right? This is all happening, how that affects women and their confidence. And so what I would probably give the talk on is the concept of the highlight reel, which I've talked to you guys about, I I assume before, and if I haven't, I certainly will, which is that you're staring on social media at feeds, right? You're looking at them all day and you're looking at all of these other people in your life who are doing things that look profoundly, profoundly successful. They have huge businesses. They've got great partners. They have the perfect job. Their hair is perfect. All of these things. The reality is that when you're posting to social media, you are posting the best of yourself. You are posting that artsy photo that makes you look perfect. No one is posting their double chin photos on social media, (laughs) right? So you're seeing this highlight reel. But the reality (laughs) is, the reality is, is that those people have a behind the scenes that is difficult and challenging and hard. And so do you. So you're staring at everyone else's highlight reel when you're living your behind the scenes. You're living your every day. And so it's impossible to not feel like, wow, I must be shit because all of these people are perfect, when in reality, none of them are. And I believe that that shift has affected how we feel about ourselves in a very profound way. And so I think ultimately, if I gave a TED Talk, I would want it to link back to my overarching message around social media and all of the things that we do. And I think that that would be the message I would give because I think that it would resonate the most with young women. Mm -hmm. I love that. Live your life with a Valencia filter. Yes, live your life with a Valencia. <laughs> love it. But then brighten and add a pink tone, just so everybody knows that's a really good Oh, good. Do you guys have a favorite Instagram filter? Do you have a favorite? Mine was Amaro. I think I used to use Amaro. I think I right? use that one a did lot. I, did I make that up? Whatever just gives me a great Amaro. chin. Yeah. yeah. Yes, always Whatever the looks the best. Always. Something <laughs> yeah. that makes me look... Svelte and lovely and perfect so that everyone can see my perfect life. As you can see me, I just made quotations around perfect It looked life. really cool, too. Thanks, thanks. It was a moment. It should have been captured on video. I just want my face to look like a Wes Anderson film Exactly. At all times. At all times. Done. Symmetrical, even, Done. great tones. Done. Good. Boom. Done. Love it. Well, thank you, Carrie, so much for answering our questions. And this has been All the Social Ladies, episode 100. Woo! You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kerfin, CEO of Likeable Media. 
You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kirpin. To get current social media insights and great tips, sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com. This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com.